If you're gonna play in Texas, you gotta have a fiddle in the band. That lead guitar is hot, but not for Louisiana man. So raw's enough that both are faded love and let's all dance. If you're gonna play in Texas, you gotta have a fiddle in the band. Davis, to step up in the pocket, gonna heave it for the end zone, and it is caught! It's caught! It's a touchdown, Whitley! Going to throw. Throws back. He's on the Howdy, everybody, and welcome back to Clear Eyes, Full Hearts. This is your Texas high school football podcast. This is a Dash Sports Media production. It's week three, and the slate of Texas high school football has never been better. We've got some games that we are excited to talk to you about tonight. A lot of ranked matchups this week. But before we get into that, we're going to do our small town spotlight first this week. Last week, we talked about our hometowns because it was really just spur of the moment and a, and a really good idea that we had. But we didn't give ourselves a lot of time to get the research together to go do a town that we're not from. This week, we did our due diligence, and we're going to be covering what I consider the title town of Region 3 and Region 4. That is Carthage in Wimberley, Texas. Tobes, would you like to go ahead and get, get us going with Wimberley? Let's get it going, man. I'm excited to do this one since we were there last weekend. So Wimberley is located in Hayes County, just outside of San Marcos. I would say it's somewhat the start of the hill country in Texas. So Wimberley was first settled as Winters Mill in 1856, but name, changed names in 1864 to Cudes Mill. It was then sold in 1874 to Pleasant Wimberley, where then it took on the name of Wimberley, Texas. A notable person of Wimberley is country music singer Ray Wiley Hubbard. Though he's not from there, that's where he moved in his 40s. One of the notable eateries in Wimberley is the Wimberley Cafe. It claims that it's the only full breakfast restaurant in town. They have both breakfast and lunch staples that are not only popular with the tourists, but the locals as well. Wimberley is known as the gem of the hill country. It has many different swimming holes that is that being that it is located on the Blanco River, most notably the Blue Hole and Jacob's Well. Wimberley also boasts multiple art galleries, boutique, boutique shops, and if you're looking for an adult beverage, a few different wineries to choose from. Moving on to Wimberley football, Wimberley has won two state titles two times, one being in 2005 and the other in 2011. Their latest trip to state was in, was in 2019, where they fell to Texarkana Pleasant Grove. However, Wimberley has been accustomed to making deep runs every year, so playing up to Christmas time has become the norm in Wimberley, Texas. I suggest to check out Wimberley as you will not be disappointed, and if you're ever there on a Friday night, head over to Texan Stadium as it will make for as good of a Friday night atmosphere you'll find in the state of Texas. I thought yep. that was Yeah, so... Texan Stadium, I mean, it might be part of the Hill Country deal, but I remember parking up by the high school and hearing the band and the way it echoed out of that stadium. I told my buddy, I was like, man, we don't we don't have to walk that far. He's like, I don't know what that guy was whining about. It's, you can hear it. It's just around the corner. And about 15-minute <laughs> yeah. walk later, we finally get up to the stadium. and yeah. uh, but, but we were not disappointed once we did get there because it was a – gorgeous venue. gorgeous stadium for oh, sure man. and they, all the facilities around it were gorgeous that i mean everything that they had there was nice that, that tennis stadium was better was than gorgeous. most people's baseball parks yeah yeah no yeah. doubt um and, and then wimberley in general is just a wimberley in general is just a beautiful town um it, it, well, that wimberley, they have there. yeah it's, it's a very storied town and you hear a lot about it and on top of that i mean it it, it when you're coming through town, it's almost like a, almost like a green Texas kind of vibe to it with a more Fredericksburg Mason kind of hill country, not so much the green and, and, and lesser LBJ area. But when you think of like perfect towns, like with the white picket fences and like the beautiful homes, like that's Wimberley, Texas right there in my mind. Like it's, yeah, it's something out of a movie. Utopia. Yeah. So, so Wimberley, we kind of 
half-heartedly did that on purpose considering that we were going to be visiting there last week. It almost gives you like a green Texas kind of vibe, a little bit more into the hill country, so a little bit more uh, uh, Bernie, uh, a little bit more of a Bernie comfort Fredericksburg kind of hill country than the San Marcos, New Braunfels hill country. That like it's all beautiful land. Don't get me wrong, but that was just a really pretty drive into the stadium, especially as the sun is setting. Uh, We had a lot of fun last weekend, and we'll get into that a little bit more as we talk about Quero and Wimberley and their matchup last week. But without further ado, I'm going to talk about Carthage, Texas. Carthage, Texas is a town roughly uh, six to 7,000 people. It's located in Panola County, and it is the county seat over there. It's roughly 25 minutes west of Louisiana off of Highway 79. It was founded in 1847 and is known as the gas capital of the world, as well as the friendliest spot in the world. In its beginning, Carthage was mostly a crop production town until the late Great Depression, when what proved to be the biggest gas field in the United States was found, hence the gas capital of the world. Carthage is obviously home to Carthage Independent School District, but it also has the Panola County Junior College as well. Some of the things to see and do around town. One thing that is actually somewhat random, but very interesting is the Texas Country Music Hall of Fame is located in Carthage. And just outside of Carthage is the Jim Reeves Memorial. He was from an unincorporated community and that, and that was Galloway. Speaking of the famous Jim Reeves, some other famous folks from Carthage include Texas country music writer, Brandon Ryder, writer slash actor slash producer, Derek Wayne Johnson, MLB pitcher, Philip Humber. Do you know who that is, Tobin? I feel like I've heard of him before. Did he yeah, play? You, you have because he threw a perfect game for the White Sox. I believe it was 2011, maybe 12. Threw a perfect really? game for the White Sox. Yes, sir. And Did, uh, Okay. Yeah, so I'm we'll, thinking of Phil Hughes from the Yankees. Okay. Oh, okay. As well as Tex Ritter, he's a singer. Act. He's a singer slash actor, and the father of the Emmy-winning John Ritter that some of the younger crowd might know. Uh, yeah. Uh, one really interesting thing that I found out when researching about Carthage was the last remaining boundary from the Republic of Texas is found just 20 minutes southeast of Carthage. If you're traveling to Carthage, whether it's for school, work, or athletics, whatever it may be, and you're looking to grab a bite to eat, head over to Country Fresh Pizza. Uh, one of the staples of Carthage, from what I've been told, is the Circle M Cafe, as well as Master's Blend. But the word on the street from somebody that would, that I know for a fact loves to put some food in their mouth is that Rancho Grande is the best place to eat in Carthage, hands down. Don't shoot the messenger. That's just what I've been told from a local. Now, putting my second favorite thing behind me, that's food, and starting to talk about my first favorite thing, that's sports. Oh, I'm sorry, wife and God. I'm sorry about that one. Please forgive me. Uh, talking about sports, for those of us in the ni- born in the 90s or before, the Carthage Bulldogs are a very, very familiar name in the high school sports landscape. They've won eight football titles and three baseball titles just since the 90s. While the women's programs may not have had as many state titles, they're not necessarily slouches either. They've just been just as dominant over in the 903. For example, the volleyball team has won their district or made the regional quarterfinals in seven of the last eight seasons. The softball team has won four of the last six district titles. And their boys basketball team is always either in the playoffs or vying for the playoffs. And, uh, you know, that's that's really all I got on Carthage. It's It's... I know there is a YouTube special called Title Town referring to Alito, but that crown belongs in Panola County with Carthage, Texas. Well, do you want to know another good thing about Carthage? Yeah. It's 30 minutes from Shreveport, which I get the casinos in the Some small town kid driven by rock music and some hoggy in the mix. I like a whiskey and coke, double Hey, y'all, we're welcomed in with Coach Grimm, the Hubbard jagger defensive coordinator and head baseball coach jordy would you like to start it out with the first question yeah sure hey coach grim for those of us that have never really put a headset on on the sidelines can you kind of talk us through how you and your defensive staff put together a game plan for each week man the biggest thing is we have meetings of course on saturday and sunday and you know we're together all week Um, we have a good game plan normally set it set in stone we get together, like I said, you know, all around the week, you know, and also um, after practice, we talk about things that look good, things that don't, 
because no, I mean Friday night, no matter what. I know, I know, Toby's been there. Friday night on the headset is is crazy, and so we want to try to keep as much chaos down as possible. We try to communicate the game plan, all all of our checks, all you know, everything that we do. I, I feel like you know our defense staff has a good good you know handle on everything that we do. Yeah, for sure. Just uh, going a little bit off of that, making sure that you'll have a good handle. Preparation is super key. Can you talk a bit a little bit about what y'all's practice schedule looks like during the week? So we do. You know, I really love our practice schedule. You know, it, it's good because it kind of keeps our guys fresh. But we practice defense on um, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday in the morning time, and then in the afternoon we go offense. And then so the biggest thing for us that we try to do is we have an athletic period every single day of the week. And so we lift four times a week, and then we lift on Saturday as well. And now I think that's key, you know, not just for football, but, you know, one of our mottos is that, you know, we're building athletes, not just football players. And so we think that that athletic period is, is super key. We think the morning practice is key to keep our guys kind of fresh as well. That definitely helps to spill in other sports and things like that for sure. So I definitely think that's an awesome thing. Coach Master does a great job with our program. You know, he brought all this with him. Uh, two years ago from Buffalo, from Princeton, you know, everywhere he's been. So, I mean, it's really it's really about, you know, all the stuff that he brings in and our mentality. Yeah, for sure. I know one of y'all's mottos is win the day. That seems like y'all win the day whenever y'all get that done. Yeah, I mean, and then, you know, it's not just win the day on the football field, you know, on Friday night, but it's win the day in practice. It's win the day in the classroom. And then more importantly, like we preach all the time, it's win the day, you know, after high school football, after high school, you know, being husband, bring being great dads and so forth. And that's really what we kind of preach. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Jordy. Hey, Coach, reoccurring theme we've had over here on our podcast is kind of how important the next man up mentality is and how you can't be rebuilding. You need to be reloading. Being in a smaller school like Hubbard, how, how do y'all go about dealing with that on a smaller school level when you don't have it, when you have so many guys playing both ways? You know, man, that's a, that's a great question because this year we've got 34 players. And then out of those 34, I think we've got, you know, 12 or 13 freshmen. And so really it's just, you know, you just got to coach all the kids up. You know, I mean, of course, you got to get your varsity guys. They got to get the most reps. But those younger guys got to get reps as well. I mean, you just got to coach them all up. I mean, like I said, you know, they all play offense. They all play defense. So sometimes on Friday night, we'll actually put in, you know, maybe a freshman in the secondary so I can talk to, talk to the quarterback or, you know, something like that. And, I mean, it's always just the next man up, especially in 2A football because, I mean, there's not very many of us. So when somebody goes down, you know, it is the next guy up. I can remember when uh, we, we'd have to send freshmen in there if, you know, somebody get cramps or something like that. So definitely next man up mentality. Coach, so in your first two games of the season, it looks like y'all have held y'all's opponents to an average of 13 points per game, which is super stout. What are some of the main things that you're preaching to your defense to With those linebackers with no penny and Ryman, um, they're both what had about 90 tackles last year. For so, if those defensive linemen, you know, get a good push, it frees up those linebackers to really be able to make plays and lets lets your athletes get out there and make plays. Yeah, no doubt. You know, I can't speak more, you know, enough about MJ Ryman. Uh, you know, the whole defensive game plan is around him. I'm, I give him a lot of leeway about just getting up there and making calls. You know, I, you know, we we have kind of you know just a system where the, that middle linebacker he makes. You know, all the calls for us, he gets us in the right blitzes about 90% of the time, which is which is crazy. And so, number one, he's just super smart. I mean, he, he just knows exactly what to do, know how to play. And then, you know, of course, Shelby Nopin, he's just, he's just a ball player. 
Um, you know, he's just getting, he, you know, we actually moved him to safety this year to kind of, you know, sure up our secondary. And he's just been a, he's been a ball player. And then, of course, you got, you got Kevin Whitworth. He, you know, he's a 6'3", 63 dude that runs about a 4'5", four, 4'4", four, four, at free safety that can just roam the field. And so, I mean, we're just super athletic, you know, defensively. And it's really about all the kids. Yeah. So, Coach, talking – going off of that, when you're sitting down and looking at the film on Saturday mornings from the uh, next week's – for the following week's opponents, how much of what you're looking for is where you can put these guys into a position to succeed and how much of it, like, comparatively is looking at the offense and seeing what you need to stop? Yeah, to be honest with you, the first thing that I look at whenever I'm watching film defensively is I'm looking at, number one, I'm trying to figure out the best, their best three plays. And I'm going to take away their best three plays based on formation, based on alignment, based on, you know, string call, field, boundary. I mean, I'm going to take away those three plays the best I can. And that, and that it goes back to, you know, teaching our middle linebackers, hey, this formation, they run this. This formation, they run this. So this is what we want to be in. And, I mean, so Saturday, as, you know, as a defensive coordinator, Saturdays and Sundays, really, truly, after you get through with Saturday and Sunday, all, your, all the work's done. Because you're just trying to be as much prepared as you possibly can for plays, for formation, for personnel, whatever it is. And you're just trying to get your athletes in the best situation possible. Yeah, no doubt that usually those Mondays and Tuesdays are, you know, getting your guys lined up and uh, them, them, I guess, you know, uh, recognizing those formations and what those, uh, what those, you know, best three plays and what they're going to be doing most likely. Yeah, so like Mondays, so we'll just sit there for really about four or five defensive periods. We just go over formation. We talk about, you know, hey, these are the run plays. You know, if they run option, we go over option drill. You know, whatever, if it's power read, we go over power read drill. Whatever it is, Monday, I mean, we're in short T-shirt and helmet, and we're really just going through a walkthrough to make sure we know what to do based on formations and things like that. So it's really a lot more teaching so much as it is coaching during that time period. Yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. So I know that uh, Moody has a super athletic quarterback, and he kind of likes to freelance and scramble. And uh, – how is that watching on film? Because, you know, like we talked about the three best plays, it's always uh, tough to stop. But, you know, with y'all's athletes and him being pretty athletic, it seems like it's going to be a pretty good matchup. Yeah, it's going to be a great matchup. I, you know, against Hyco, uh, he had 30 rushes. He threw the ball 18 times, and there was only 58, you know, defensive plays. So he touched the ball, you know, 90% of the time. I mean, he's, he's, he's a really good football player. We're going to have our hands full. You know, we're going to try to get pressure on him. We're going to try not to give up the deep ball at the same time. And, I mean, he, he's, a great, he's a great football player. He's going to give us some issues. But I think I think we got a good game plan and, and you know, set for him. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, Coach, I think Tobin has one more after this. But my last question is this. I kind of like to pick coaches' brains all the time. Who's the best football player that you have either coached or coached against in your career thus far? You know, that's, a, that's, a, that's a really good question. Uh, you know, at Hubbard, I think I think I've been there eight years. I think I've seen the state championship team, you know, in two a six out of those eight years. So I've seen a bunch of really good football players. You know, by far the hardest guy to probably game plan for, just because he was an unbelievable athlete, was probably Rashad Paul. You know, Greenmont. He, I mean, I saw him for four years. I mean, as a freshman, he was a really good football player. I mean, he was he was unbelievable. Man, I still have nightmares when we would have to watch film and game plan for him. <laughs> um, it was not fun. No, not at all. Yeah, so I, this is my last question for you, Coach. I told Jordy that you're also the head guy for the baseball team as well as your defensive coordinator duties. And last year you led the baseball team to a, to a historic run to the state tournament. Um, can you tell us about what it was like playing at Dell Diamond and what it meant to you and the kids out there? You know, I mean, it still gives me a little chills because that's when, you know, that's one of my, you know, it's every, it's every person that's ever played high school baseball, football, basketball, no matter what it is, it's to get to that, it's to get to that situation, to get to that, you know, those venues. And so, I mean, walking out on Dell Diamond, you know, being from West, going to state championship games since 1999, you know, of course, in 2014, I believe, I mean, it gave me chills. It was right where, I, you know, I've always wanted to be as a goal in my life. And so it was, it was unbelievable. And, you know, and the toughness for our kids to get there, I mean, there were some games. Oh yeah, our kids, our kids. I mean, you know, down nine to two to Abbott, winning game three in the regional finals, one to one to nothing. I mean, it was all it's, You know, it always comes back down to the kids. You know, our kids showed a lot of toughness last year. I mean, we we pulled through. You know, of course, I really wish it would have been a little little different story. 
but it was an amazing it was an amazing run it was fun it was it was great for the kids and great for the community yeah no doubt and and what i think is you know cool is a lot of those kids uh are on the football team too so that toughness just spills back over to the football field and you know those those tight games where they had to come back or you know hold on to a tight lead uh it really it really shows their mental toughness and that's something that you you know you said that y'all preach and uh y'all y'all practice in the weight room and on the field so uh, it's really good to see that that works out for you know for the kids and uh and your, your teams yeah no doubt you know one of another one of our things Success breeds success. It don't matter if, you know, the football team goes three rounds deep and the basketball team goes three rounds deep and the baseball team you know, goes four rounds deep. We've always said that if you have success in one sport, it's just going to keep going, keep moving on. The momentum's going to keep going. And so, you know, Coach Masters, again, he brought this all with him about this mentality about, you know, win the day. The weight room's important. Be tough. You know, it's not me, it's we. You know, that, that, and it's been, I mean, it's been a cold, it's a hundred percent culture change that hovered the last couple of years. And it's a testament to that dude. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt. No doubt. Well, Coach Grimm, we appreciate you uh, taking time out of your busy day to join us. And uh, we look forward to seeing, coming out to a game and uh, good luck against Moody this Friday. Man, I appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank, thank you so much, Coach. Have a good one. Alrighty, guys, let's bring it on back in real quick. It's time for our primetime picks. We're going to go through and give you the games from around the state, what to look for, who to watch, and everything that goes along with it. This week, I just have one main game that I dove into. I'm actually headed, Tobin as well, to the Texas A&M and Colorado game in Denver this weekend. So I'm actually on a short week on top of the Labor Day vacation day. So I did not – I don't have a kickback easy – blow with the wind kind of job like Mr. Tobin does over here so I didn't get to do a lot of my work (laughs) (laughs) I didn't get get to do a lot of work during work if that if you catch what I mean so but for real I just and and part of it was I couldn't really decide which one and I couldn't get a lot of stats on some of these teams because there's a lot of good smaller schools Uh, for example Argyle versus Salina Argyle's obviously kind of dominated this over the past couple years but Salinas looked pretty good so far this year, and they are just one of the more historic teams in the state. When it, yeah, I, when you start going back multiple years. Yeah, I'd kind of say that Argyle's kind of taken Salinas' place. Like, you know, in the late 90s and early 2000s, Salina was really that team uh, around the, the Fort Worth area and west of Fort Worth that is like, you know, was the team. And now Argyle is that team that is around Fort Worth that really uh, raised the clout with them. Mm-hmm. And, and – not saying that if Solana doesn't pull this off that they aren't back per se, but they did have a down year last year and it and it would be a real confidence booster for Solana to take this one four quarters and potentially pull this one off. Yeah, like you said, if they take it four quarters and they're in the game, you know, within a touchdown in that fourth quarter, um, that's when you really start to believe in yourself. Even if you don't win, it's like, hey, we're taking Argyle to the fourth quarter. Uh let's see, let's see how this plays out the rest of the year. And um you know, see if we can get on a little bit of a roll. Yeah, and Argyle has, I know two, it might be more than that, like top-tier Division One players on their team, which is really impressive for a 4A school. I know they're a doubt or relatively. More Fort Worth. Yeah, they're, they're, they're a suburb, kind of. They're they're more about what Sealy is to Columbus. I mean, Sealy is to Houston, for those of you that are Houston area, or more of a bash drop to Austin than a round rock to you, if that makes sense. Yeah. So they're, they're, I mean, they're right there. Um, they they still get a lot of move-ins and, and all that, but it's still impressive for a four A school to have that many Division One players. Keeping this one back home, Columbus versus Rice. That is Altair Rice Consolidated Eagle Lake area. Um, it's a huge county rivalry game. They've actually moved it to Thursday night, which, for those of you that don't know and you only typically follow the big schools. For a team to play on a Saturday or Thursday underneath the 4A level is very rare. And most of the time it has to do with hurricanes or weather. Well, that's how you know that the uh, livestock is a really big deal around here and how big the county fair is because they moved the varsity football games for the in-county rivalry to Thursday night so it doesn't affect the Friday night crowd and doesn't make people choose between the two. Uh, Rice is one and one. They lost to Goliad, who typically has a pretty good team. I, I don't know much about Goliad this year, 
And they've just played really good defense from the get-go, 21-0 over Palacios. And I think they might have only given up, I think, one or two touchdowns against Goliad. So the defense is pretty stout over at Rice. Columbus has had a good defense as well. They returned some guys that were hurt from week one and took out 4A Giddings, which is a bigger school than them. So they're building a lot of momentum. And as Coach Schobel last week, they've got a lot of young talent at the skilled position. So we'll see how they grow this year and how they perform in their first big rivalry game. Columbus leads the series 28 to 15. I think it's the third most played series for the Cardinals. But moving up I-10 about 40 miles east, you got Katie and Dickinson. Well, actually, it's in Dickinson, so it's not off of I-10. But Katie Tigers, number two in the state, one of the biggest, baddest names. They could go 0-12 and everybody would just assume that they're going to be running for state. I mean, that they had a good yeah. year because they're putting out talent left and right. And so the biggest matchup over there to look at is Katie defense, which is absolutely stout and loaded with Division One talent. Got a USC linebacker commit, Ty Kanya, Texas A&M commits, Malik Silla, and Bobby Taylor. Bobby Taylor is actually out for this game. But last year, he, he, he was hurt the majority of the year last year, and that secondary was still filthy. Yeah, well, Bobby Taylor's actually out for the year. He broke his hand. Yeah, yeah, he had hand surgery. surgery. He's, he's going to yeah. be out for the year. But on the other side, Dickinson's offense is not just Donovan Green, the number one tight end in the country. Their quarterback, dual threat, very lethal with his legs and his arm. They've got all kinds of go up and get it and speed at the wide receiver position, and they're averaging 40 points a game. So, I mean, something's got to give this week, and that's why I threw it down there on my list of games to watch. Yeah, and you, you, Dickinson's going to be, I wouldn't say looking to get re- revenge, but last year, you know, there was a lot of talk about this game, and Katie really laid it on them. So I think Dickinson might be out there to prove something this week uh, that they can play with Katie and, uh, you know, really looking to take that next step forward. Yep. Which brings me into the game that I'm actually diving into, and we're going to, is my primetime pick, and that is. The Midland Legacy Rebels, also formerly known as Midland Lee, taking on the Arlington Martin Warriors. We kind of talked about Arlington Martin earlier when they took off Lake Travis. Took on Lake Travis. Don't sleep on them. I know a lot of people in Central and East and North, like everywhere except for the West Texas area, we kind of forget about those guys out there. But this Midland team is nothing to mess around with. They've got a Florida Atlanta commit. He's got three touchdowns and 259 yards receiving through two, through two games. And I'm sorry, I could not find a way to pronounce this guy's name, but I'm going to think it's Michael and Young. He's the running back, number 22. And he's got offers from HBU, Jackson State, and a couple other small D1 schools. And he has rushed so far for 436 yards and averaging 6.8 a carry, which is kind of ridiculous. And then my favorite thing about starting to cover the bigger games every now and then, and and I love – covering small schools that's my favorite thing to do but one of the things that kind of struggles about covering the smaller schools is the kind of stats you get or don't get depending on the the school i have pancake stats for this 6a game and garrett garrett whitehill through two games leads the midland rebs with 12 pancakes in two games they have 42 as a team that's insane and six pancakes a game. Most a lot of people don't average six tackles a game. Exactly. That that's all. And the fact that it's on there and it's kept is just. I played offensive line in high school. It's a big boy's dream to hear that. Yeah. And see that. Kudos to their statistician. Oh yeah, it's it's awesome. And I was looking at it, and Martin had it too on their stat side. So maybe it's a six A deal that I just didn't notice before, because we get caught up in the the glam and the shine of the wide receivers and the quarterbacks yeah. and the running backs, but. But speaking of quarterback, they have a sophomore, Marcus Davila, who has completed 69% of his passes for a total of 502 yards. And considering he's a sophomore on the 6A level, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, that is another good. thing is he's, th- he's had 30 attempts so far with just one interception and four touchdowns to go along with that. And, yeah. and when you go sit there and watch him, you can, you can kind of see the potential there. He, he's had some plays where – you know, maybe it was a bad throw or, or didn't grip it right or got a missed up, mixed up with his receiver. But there's one play in particular against Tascosa last week. He takes a shot to the head 
as he's like stepping into the pass, he just stands in the pocket, takes the shot to the head, drops a dime over the receiver's shoulder, 41 yards down the field, in stride for the touchdown. Well, and if I'm not mistaken, Tascosa is usually a solid team as well. Yeah, so. I was just about to get into that. So Tascosa yeah. has been, I wouldn't say usually, but the last couple of years has been stepping it up and has been a very good, they run the triple option. So they always give people a lot of issues. That's hard to prepare for. I'll go into that here in a minute with the defense. Mm -hmm. uh, fun fact about that Tascosa game, actually, uh, it was fifth, It was a one-possession game. I want to say 51-48, something like that. And Midland came out on top. They scored their win game-winning touchdown with three minutes and nine seconds left to play on second and nine. And they missed a false start on that play, which I don't know that it would have changed anything because it was a 21-yard touchdown run. And who's to say that in a high-scoring game it doesn't happen again? But they did miss it, and it was very obvious, and it could have changed the outcome of the game. Yeah. And, uh, speaking of their defense, they were kind of exposed for 430 yards of rushing against Tascosa. But like I said, they, they're no slouch that they were going against. And when you don't play the triple option yeah. every year, it's that's one of those hard. things it's it's hard to prepare for just because you you you're that's the only time you're going to see that all year and so when you're running it on scout team your guys don't know how to run it you know your coaches don't coach it so it's really hard to you know really teach and exactly and you really have to you know play assignment football or else you're going to get out of position and uh things are just going to go badly for you mm -hmm. And uh, we talked about their, their leaders on the offense. Wesley Smith is getting some D1 looks. He's their leading linebacker. He's got 27 tackles. Five of those are TFLs. He also has two sacks on the year. And then Jeremiah Alvarado has three sacks and six TFLs and one forced fumble. And so, you know, obviously the, somewhere in between what they did in week one against the Sandys of Amarillo High – and what they did last week, you would have to think is somewhere what is realistic for this defense. Mm -hmm. um, we'll see going into this week. As for Arlington Martin, we kind of talked about them in week one. As we talked about the five-star cornerback, Javian Toviano, who has been, been extremely explosive on offense to come out the gates this year. Out of the backfield, he's carried the ball 17 times, averaging over 11 yards at carry and tacking on two touchdowns with that. So, I mean, Tobin talked about him on defense, so I'm not going to get too much yeah. into that. We know about him, and we know about Mr. Ernest Cooper, the fourth over on defense, going to Stanford. Um, just a couple stats for him, 11 tackles for loss. I'm sorry, 11 tackles, four for loss, two sacks. But one thing you notice on the film is that he's getting chipped or double teamed every play, and he's, yeah. still, he's still wreaking a havoc. So the fact that he has those numbers is pretty impressive. Um, their quarterback, Sid Ford, has thrown for over 500 yards and eight touchdowns. He's kind of being looked at as a receiver by several small schools, and you can kind of see why. Not that he doesn't have a good arm or anything, but at times he struggles making the throws that need that aren't necessarily that – should, that should be able to be completed at a 6A level. I'll just put it that way. But yeah. his athleticism is out of the gym. He creates so much more than he loses – just by getting out of the pocket, buying himself time and dumping it off. And I mean, he does, and I'm not saying he's a bad throw, but there are times where you can kind of tell that he struggles making the throws. Yeah. In the passing game, they have Trey Cochran and Michael Zaire Barrow. They do most of the damage. They've counted for 62% of their receiving yards and five of the team's 11 touchdowns. And then also on defense, you have safety number 23, Dylan Stevenson. He loves to bring the wood. He's going to fly down and make a play. He's got some speed, so he, he can make some coverage. And there's a couple of plays on film where he comes out of nowhere and gets a pass defended. Mm -hmm. um, I, and, then, and just kind of my overall thoughts after doing a quick overview of the two teams is it's really going to be interesting to see kind of how the lead defense regroups after last weekend and really kind of getting taken to the woodshed by the Tascosa offense. But like we talked about, it's, uh, it's new, it's different, it's the triple option. It'll be interesting to see how the lead defense regroups and performs this week when they go against the Martin offense that is explosive, but at the same time is a scheme that they are more accustomed to seeing. So, you know, we talked about that triple offense, maybe, maybe somewhere close, maybe they are a good defense and last week was just a fluke going against something that they haven't seen before. Be yeah. interesting to see how it turns out on that end. And then as for the Martin defense versus the Lee offense, You'd have to think that Lee is going to get theirs with the kind of guys they got on offense. But at the same time, 
Is Martin going to be able to make stops in the run game early on? I think that'll be a big key to the game. Yeah, and I think I think what's interesting is uh, that that Lee offensive line, like you said, has over 60 pancakes, and that Arlington Martin defensive line has been pretty stout this year. So I think that's going to be a key to the game on how that Lee, on who can you know impose their will on the other side, and uh, and you know say that Lee de- offensive line comes out there and starts pushing Martin around. Uh, it could be a long night for Arlington Martin if that happens, or vice versa if if Arlington Martin's line gets after Lee's offensive line. Um, it could be a long night for Lee as well. Yeah, so that's what I was about to say is I think the biggest key is how that defensive and offensive line battle comes out because if you stop the run game, you're forcing a sophomore to try and pick apart your very loaded and very fast secondary. And not that not that he won't be able to, but I guarantee you he's going to be a young buck, not scared to freaking wing. He's not going to be scared to wing it and go right after somebody or try to force it in there and make a play. When the pressure gets on the young guys, they want to make a play. Instead of living for the next play, they'll try to force it sometimes. Will that happen? I don't know. I don't have enough film on this guy. But you would have to think as a defensive coordinator, you got a sophomore quarterback in there at this high of a level. You're going to take your five-star cornerbacks and your four-star safeties any day of the week. Ought to be a great North First West Texas matchup this week in the 6A level. I'm going to keep up with this one as we're in Colorado this week might be able to stream it on NFHS be on the lookout for those games Katie Dickinson Columbus Rice Salina versus Argyle and then this one Arlington Martin versus Midland Legacy yeah Jordy those are some good matchups so moving on to my two games that I did some research on and that I'm interested in seeing what happens my first game is number four Waco La Vega against number five Austin LBJ so I was really disappointed last week. Uh, Waco La Vega and Waco Conley had to cancel due to COVID protocols over at Conley. So Waco La Vega scrambled to pick up a game against Bishop Dune. Waco La Vega won that game 65-0. to zero. Waco La Vega has outscored their opponents in their first two games. Listen to this stat. 116-21. to 21. That is just absolutely nuts. So offensively, when you look at Waco La Vega, they're going to be in a lot of two-back two back gun. One of the things I noticed about La Vega is they're super big up front. That O-line gets – Huge, absolutely yeah. huge. Massive. And that, that O-line gets a really good push, and they open up lanes for those playmakers that La Vega has to get loose. Defensively, when you're looking at La Vega, you're going to get – they're going to be in a 4-3 – uh, they're going to get a lot of pressure up front, and that's going to allow their linebackers to free up and uh, make plays in the open field or get back in the backfield and get some tackles for loss. Against Katie Jordan, which was Waco La Vega's first game, they had two interceptions uh, due, due to being in the quarterback's face all night and just making him throw off his back foot. So, like I said, they're really just you know going to get pressure up front and uh, put pressure on that quarterback. Some of my players to watch for La Vega is number two, Mikai Rice. He's a senior. Um, this kid has elite speed out at the wideout position. He took a bubble screen um, against Katie Jordan, 50 yards to the house, as well as a kick return that ended up getting called back. But, man, when this kid gets out in the open field, you are not touching him. This probably was my favorite player to see on film for Waco La Vega. Number 26, Bryson Rowland. This kid's a freshman. He, as, as, as fast as Mikai is in the open field, Bryson may be faster except they're going to move Bryson around. They're going to put him in the slot a little bit, and then they'll motion him back into that two-back gun, and he's a home run every home run threat every time he touches the ball. And then the last guy for La Vega is number five, Najee Drakes. He's a junior. He's a little bit bigger of a back. Uh, not that he's slow. He just he has a ton of power when he runs the ball. There's a couple times he got out in the open field, and when he got up on those safeties and corners, they just had a really tough time taking him down just because he, he, he's so powerful. Moving into Austin LBJ. So Austin LBJ has had some recent success. Last year, they actually uh, made it to the state semifinals where they lost to Lindell in a heartbreaker. Uh, they, they lost a couple guys to, to OU and Clemson, but still bring back a bunch of talent uh, that's, that carries a load for this team. So LBJ started out the season 2-0. Uh, they beat a tough Parish Episcopal team last week, 44-42. Uh, this is actually a team that, Jordy, I'm looking forward to seeing possibly play next week 
as they're going to be in Liberty Hill, which is my neck of the woods. It's literally 10 minutes from where, where I'm at. So I'm going to try to make it over there to see this uh, LBJ team in person, as well as Liberty Hill, which is a you know storied program in itself. So uh, offensively, kind of like La Vega, LBJ is going to be in a two-back gun. They also have really good size up front, and uh, they just uh, they they have a bunch of playmakers that they get that when they get out in open space. Similar to they're, they're very similar to La Vega. When they when these guys get out in open space, it's just hard to get a get a tackle on them and uh, hard to hard to bring them down. Uh, defensively, their line was their defensive line was big, like real big. So they get a good push against the run game. Uh, last game against Parish Episcopal, these guys forced six turnovers. Plays of the game was a 99-yard fumble recovery that was returned for a touchdown right before the half. It was a, it was a big-time momentum shift after, as I believe that Parish Episcopal was actually going to look up, looking up to go up two touchdowns and then went in either uh, being up by one or being a tied game. Some of the players to watch on this Austin LBJ is running back number 28, Cedric Alexander. Last week against Parish Episcopal, he had 23 carries for 172 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, number Wide receiver number two, Fatu Mokuba, he had four catches for 63 yards and a touchdown. And their quarterback can sling it a little bit. Uh, number 10, Oscar Gordon, uh, 136 yards and two touchdowns last week, last week. And like I told you, they had – you know, they forced those six turnovers. Uh, defensively, free safety, Jay Brion Riggins was all over the field as he had two uh, interceptions against Parish Episcopal. So uh, that, that game's going to be, I think it's going to be really good. Uh, you know, La Vega is a very storied program. Um, they they won state, I want to say, was it 20, I believe it was 2015, and they've made multiple runs either to the regional finals or uh, back to the state championship uh, throughout the years. They're a, a really fun team to watch. This Austin LBJ team is a little bit more of an up-and-comer. Like I said, last year they were in the state or yeah, state semifinals. They lost on a heartbreaker to Lindell, but they still brought back a lot of talent this year and uh, looking to make a return back to the state semifinals and hopefully, you know, make that make that push towards state. Yeah, so the first thing I saw in this oh, game yeah, is – the first thing I saw in this game was exactly what you said is how huge La Vega was up on the offensive line. Yes. And then those two D tacks that the, those two defensive tackles that LBJ has number 73 and number 56. Dude, those guys it, at least have to be at least over six to 300 pounds. So once allegedly listed at six to 270, the other at six to 300. Okay. So not too far away. Yeah. And then, but those guys, I mean, so number 64 for La Vega on the offensive line, he is listed at six foot 290. And then number 79 makes him look small. I, I'm, I'm guessing number 79, 6'2", 6'3", 300 plus. He's got to be 320 maybe. Just absolutely giant human beings. One thing I noticed, though, that might come into play is what I was wondering maybe, and, and I don't know their programs that well and how they're conditioned and whatnot, is that a lot of that both number 73 and 56 for LBJ play also on the offensive line. Um, so does conditioning come into play there at the end of the game? Will La Vega's big boys? Because when you go watch La Vega, their big their defensive line is a lot is not the same guys. It's smaller, they're quicker guys. Yeah, they're smaller they're, and quicker. They they they're, they like they're to more that. athletic, uh more like pass rush ends and, mm -hmm. and and trying to get into the gaps and, and create havoc rather than plugging up holes. Yeah, for so sure. So I wonder maybe later in the game does well in does conditioning take place and, and, and LBJ gets struggling with the running game later. Yeah, and, and that's exactly what I think, you know, is going to be one of the keys to the game. After that big La Vega offensive line leans on those uh, you know, some of those guys going both ways for, you know, uh two quarters. Are they going to keep, are they going to be able to keep, you know, having that same energy, you know, going both ways and be able to, to give a hundred percent on both sides of the ball. And if they can't, it's going to be a long night. Uh, La Vega is in a bigger division. So La Vega is number four and four AD one and uh, LBJ is number five and four AD two. So La Vega is a little bit bigger of a school. Um, so like you said, we'll see if uh, depth and uh, conditioning has anything to do uh, with this game, which, like we like we talked about, we think it will. Moving into my next game, we have 
Number seven, A&M Consolidated against number 20, Converse Judson. I want to say A&M Consolidated is number seven in 5A D2, and then Judson Converse Judson is number 20 in 6A. So A&M Consolidated has roared out of the gates at 2-0. They've outscored their opponents 130-14 to so far this year, and they're coming off a 62-7 to win over Houston MacArthur. Offensively, they're going to look to spread you out and have a balanced attack. And defensively, they're going to be in a 3-3 stack. Last week, they, they forced five turnovers against Houston MacArthur. So they're led offensively by their quarterback, Brody Daniel. Uh, Brody had 182 yards passing last weekend with a touchdown. You want to guess how many touchdowns he had on the ground? I saw. Touchdowns on the ground, four of those coming in the first half. Unreal. Four touchdowns in the first half. I'd be happy with that for the whole – if I was a coach for the whole game, much less the first half. Uh, at running back, they have number 23, Keyshawn Thomas. He had 13 carries for 167 yards and a touchdown. And then uh, another running back, number 31, Darius Turner, who had 11 carries for 82 yards and a touchdown. Defensively, like we said, they, they forced those five turnovers last week. Uh, they're led by number 10, cornerback Josh Gooden. He had one interception and five tackles. Offensively, they've averaged over 500 yards a game. And one of the interesting notes for me last week was on third down, they were 7 of 10 for the game. When you're, cons when you're converting at a 70% clip on third down, you're going to be really tough to beat. I know that uh, when we always, you know, we're, we're A&M guys, so when we hear uh, Jimbo talk, he always talks about winning third down. And if they win third down, they're going to be in really good shape. Ain't going to be like it used to. Uh, number 20, Converse Judson. So it's kind of been of a tell of two teams for Converse Judson. They started the season with a big-time statement, defeating a very talented DeSoto team. And then uh, last week they played uh, Lake Travis and just uh, committed too many errors to overcome uh, what is, you know, obviously a talented Lake Travis team. Offensively, Converse Judson's going to be in the shotgun. They put a lot of guys in motion and use misdirection to kind of keep those uh, linebackers off balance and, uh, you know, just try to confuse you. Uh, defensively, I didn't have a lot of film on them. They do have uh, a defensive lineman named Johnny Bowens. He's 6'3", 270, and uh, he's being recruited by AM, Texas, OU, Baylor, all the, all the big schools in Texas as well as, you know, around the, around the country. <clears throat> Offensively, they're led by number 40 running back Marvin Burroughs. So – in Marvin's first game against DeSoto, he had 10 carries for 76 yards. And uh, last week, for the most part, Lake Travis was able, able to bottle him up, but uh, he was able to get loose for a 63-yard touchdown uh, catch. And so he does have big playability. So we'll look to see if Converse can kind of, you know, scheme him up to get him the ball in space and uh, let him go. Uh, they also have number, number eight wide receiver, Andre Jones. He has big playability as well. Against DeSoto, he had a 75-yard touchdown and was able to go actually for 40 yards receiving against a stingy Lake Travis defense. At quarterback, they have number one, Michael Burroughs. I'm not sure if him and Marvin are, uh, you know, brothers or not. Uh, I couldn't, couldn't find that information, but uh, it would make sense if they are. He was 11 for 16 passing for one touchdown and one interception for Lake Travis. Uh, he's, a, he's a dual threat guy. He ran for 53 yards and two touchdowns in the previous game against DeSoto. So uh, very well-rounded. One of the things that intrigues me about this game is number A&M Consolidated is ranked number seven in 5A D2, and Converse Judson is ranked number 20 in 6A. I think it'll be interesting to see if A&M Consolidated is not only up for going against a, a challenge against a 6A school, but a 6A school that's usually a power at that. Converse Judson is known for making deep runs into the playoffs, and so I'm I think it'll be interesting to see if AM Consolidated can keep up that explosive offense that has been averaging over 500 yards a game. And we'll see if Converse Judson can bounce back at, against a solid AM Consolidated team after Lake Travis kind of had their way with them last week. Those are my two spotlight matchups of the week that really caught my eye. We've got all the zips covered this week, and there's just there's great football all over the state. There's no reason well, that you can't go find a big game this week to go. Well, win. well, I'm feeding off that, Jordy. I think this this year, and I don't know if it was because of COVID or not, but 
I think I've seen more high-profile matchups this year than I've ever seen. They're, these teams are not scared to play each other this year, and uh, I, I think it's really excited to see these games happening in, uh, before district. Yeah, I, I feel like these guys are realizing that when we get to November and December and we're playing late into the year trying to win a title, we want to be battle-tested, and not yeah. everybody has a stout district. I mean, it's impossible for every district to be stout. There's yeah, a lot and, of districts and sometimes across it's not the your state. Fault. Right. And there's a lot of districts across the state where you just wax everybody. So in order to get that battle test before it's too late, you don't want to play your bi-district opponent from a tough district and all of a sudden you camp and lose in the first round because whether it's the weather, injuries, COVID, whatever it is, for some reason you can't handle your business or they're just a good squad. You don't yeah. want the time that you're like, man, I wish my guys had experience in a moment like this being week one in the playoffs and you potentially get bounced. Yeah. Was that six weeks too early? You want to play 16 games. You don't want to get bounced in week 11 when you're trying to get to week 16. Right. Right. And, and the thing about it is, is, you know, if in some of these matchups, if you can get past that first round, that's going to be your toughest opponent until, you know, you get to the regional semifinals or you get to the regional finals just because of how some of these districts are set up. So why not go ahead and get yourself battle tested, like we said? So, but all righty, guys. So, that's all we have for y'all today. Make sure you tune back in with us next week. Go follow us on social media. If you see our stuff on Facebook, please give it a share so that all your friends can help find us and maybe we get some information to them and really just grow the sport and help these communities get the recognition that they need. Instagram, Clear Eyes, Full Hearts, go check us out. We post all of our videos pictures and everything that we have going on from our travels from our blog everything that's going on over there and then twitter we don't we're working on our following over there clear eyes full h go check us out on twitter and we will see y'all next week have fun this weekend if you have any scores or questions message us and tweet at us tweet at us do whatever you want just we're open to talk ball if you if you want updates from a certain game we can do that too just let us know if you have any suggestions on who we should interview or towns that we should cover for our small town spotlight, hit us in the DMS and we'll talk to you about that as well and get that underway. Tobin, any last words before we head out for the weekend, man, I'm psyched to see some of these games and I'm a, uh, you know, so I'm just, man, I'm just glad football is back. It is back. Football it is, is back. It is in full force. So, all right, everybody. Thank you so much. We'll see you next week. Take it easy. Bye. Bye.